The first reading is taken from the second book of Peter, chapter 3, verses 8 to 15a. Promise of the Lord's coming. But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be destroyed with fire, and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of persons ought you to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and destroyed, and the elements will melt with fire? But in accordance with his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home. Therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, strive to be found by him at peace, without spot or blemish, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand for the Gospel reading. Gospel reading can be found on page 33, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. Alleluia, alleluia. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Alleluia. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. The Proclamation of John the Baptist. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the whole Judean region and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts, and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the Gospel of the Lord. 
Praise to you, O Christ. May I speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. In the name of Jesus, amen. Good morning and do sit down. Do you love Advent? Good. I have some supporters here. That's completely unscripted. Um, Everyone loves Christmas, or lots of people love Christmas. I I love Advent. Uh, There's a real sense in which Advent is still um, available to us as believers to make good use of. At Christmas time, we enjoy ourselves in all sorts of ways, but there is so much that takes us away from the true meaning of Christmas. In Advent, we can get to the heart of the matter, the real heart of the matter. This is the second Sunday of Advent, and I'm glad. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Novelists long for that wonderful first sentence. Jane Austen has it. We won't go there, but Jane Austen has it. Mark has it. Is there a better way to start any narrative than this? The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark's right in one way when he says that at the beginning of his gospel narrative. But he goes on to look back straight away at the prophecy of Isaiah. So although it's the beginning of the good news, yes it is in a sense, but the good news was born before the baby in Bethlehem. And Mark gets it. He looks back at the prophecy of Isaiah about John the Baptist. He spoke of the ministry of John the Baptist to come, which ministry, when Isaiah wrote those words, was still 700 years ahead. The children of Israel had a very long wait for John the baptizer to appear in the wilderness, declaring the imminent arrival of the Messiah. And of course, for us, that is now 2,000 years back. We're sitting comfortably this morning, we're not in the wilderness, but we too are looking forward, even as we look back. We're looking for the one who is to come, though in a very different way to the Jews who listened to the baptizers preaching long ago. For in a very real sense, we have seen the birth. And we'll be two weeks today is Christmas Eve. We'll be thinking about it. Nativity services will be taking place here. But we've also seen the death. And we've also seen the resurrection of the Messiah. So we're not looking forward to that. The last days have begun, but the messianic deliverance is ongoing. We're living in that right now, all of us. The completion, the culminating fulfillment of God's messianic deliverance of humankind and the world lies ahead. And it's for the second coming of the Lord Jesus that we look and for which we wait. 
we know Jesus is God's own Son in whom he is well pleased. This looking forward to the second coming is the second linked theme of the Advent season, the second coming of Christ. We don't wait for it like waiting for a train, sitting in a waiting room at a railway station where there's no uh, timetable. We don't know when the train's coming. We know one's coming. Uh, We'll just sit there and wait for it to come. That is not what God wants us to do. Jesus did not leave us to do that. We are busy. We are active. And yes, we're waiting, but we're actively waiting. Just before our epistle reading, the Apostle Peter offers his readers a reminder to do two things. He says, you should remember the words spoken in the past by the Holy Prophets. And on this second Sunday in Advent, uh, all over the country, people are thinking about the prophets. The declaration of the coming of the Messiah. And those old prophets... They imagined, they thought, they listened to God's divine words into them that came out in the words we read. And they waited for this Messiah to come where everything would be sorted. Of course, we know that the Messianic age is ongoing. This is almost a two-part or a one-extended part of deliverance. The Messiah has come and yet he will come again to complete the work. And the other thing that Peter says is, watch the commandment of the Lord and Saviour spoken through the apostles. And where do we find that? We find that in here. We need to read and know what God is saying in the Old Testament and what he's saying in the New Testament. And the wonderful appearance of the prophesied events in history, which we can read about in here, are undergirding our confidence. God's promises are kept. God does not forget. God keeps his promises. We have the privilege of access to the whole of Scripture. John the Baptist didn't have that. None of those first century Christians in those early years had all the Bible like we do. We can look back and we can look forward. The season of Advent challenges us to do those two things, to remember God's faithful promises and to look ahead beyond the virgin birth. We jump over the virgin birth and we jump on to the second coming in our thinking. I want to encourage you, if you enjoy Advent, to relish what you have. Don't wait for Christmas to be excited. Relish that you've seen the birth. You've seen the death. You've remembered the death and the rising again. What do we say? Until I come again. What a privilege to know this truth, that this, how things are now, turn your television on, how things are now in the world is not the end. Do you know what? History has a climax. There is a climactic moment of total resolution 
which no amount of insightful, learned, erudite, intelligent analysis of world events will teach you. Relish what we already know and long for what's coming. What we need to know is not new, of course, and and actually the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ goes right back to God's promises long ago. It's not so long we were thinking about Abraham here in church. Peter wants us to realize that God lives in an amazing way, in a kind of dynamic and perpetual present. He was, he is, he is to come. God doesn't have a wristwatch. He doesn't need one. In verse 8, Peter refers to Psalm 90. Some of you will have picked that up as we had that read, I'm sure. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night, forgotten almost as it's happened. In verse 2 of that same psalm we read, Before the mountains were brought forth. Pause there. The mountains didn't make themselves, folks. God made the mountains. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you, God, had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You want to have something on your fridge that's more interesting than the shopping list? On a piece of card, put, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Read that every morning. That will make you feel better. And that's the God we serve. And that's the God we've come to worship this morning. And that's the God we worship every day in our lives the God who was and is and is to come, the everlasting Father. There is nothing better than this. No one has anything better than this. No one knows anything better than this. And we've got it. Time is passing for us. God's purposes in time are glorious. It's time for repentance of sin and turning to Christ. We might say that God views time with a different perspective to us, I suppose, and he exercises it. It's in his hand, so to speak, as a gift to us, as a way of him expressing his loving forbearance with humankind. I've sent my son... He had to die for you. He is alive and reigns with me. And I'm going to give you time to repent and come. And I've got time in my hand for that purpose. I am forbearing in my love for you all. For one day the clock will stop. Every clock will stop. Everywhere in the world, they will stop, so to speak. There will be a finality. There will be a resolution of all things. And when that comes, 
we won't be able to wait for it. It will be instantly upon us all. Everyone. So Peter is saying to his readers, and the same message comes to us through God's holy word, don't complain, the Lord hasn't come yet. Some people were at that time. Don't doubt God's promises because you thought God was coming yesterday and he didn't. You thought Jesus had said he was coming back and you got confused and, oh, I'm fed up with this. Perhaps God doesn't keep his promises. Peter says, you're getting it completely wrong. Don't look around and try and work it all out. Uh, some Christians have over the years tried to decide when the second coming will take place. Jesus didn't know himself. Matthew 24, his own words from Matthew. But concerning that day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, says Jesus, but the Father only. God is forbearing giving time for repentance of sin and turning to him. And he has a purpose for us as Christians. The time between the first and the second advent. Peter makes it clear that this is so that others may come to faith. God is waiting for people to turn to him. What greater stimulus to us to engage in evangelistic enterprise can there be? God has given us time for one reason. So that people may repent of their sin and turn to him. That is the primary purpose of time. How can we not use it for that? We'll use it for lots of other things too. We use it for growing old. Until one day we'll have new bodies. And there'll be no tick, tick, tick. No hospitals. No visits to the doctor. It's a fundamental part of living Christian lives that we should bear witness to what we know and believe. The Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Romans, Do you presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience? not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Don't just think, well, we've got plenty of time. If that warning is true for those who are already believers in the first century in Rome, um, January the 10th, do join us on a Wednesday, talking of Rome and Romans. We're starting a study course uh, on the book of Romans, uh, 11.15, Wednesday the 10th. See you there, if you're free. Those who have not yet heard need to know this even more than we do, don't they? We know about repentance of sin, don't we? All of us. We know about turning to Christ. We're here today. Most people aren't here. Do you know someone who is interested in understanding these things? Pray about it, and then invite them to come to the Alpha course in January. Be ready to come yourself week by week with them. What can we lose? Peter makes it clear with overpowering imagery that when time comes to an end, 
there will be a dramatic and comprehensive ending of all things. All things. We shall outlive the world, you know. We will outlive the world. Time and history will stop. But they'll stop not with a whimper, but with an extraordinary climax. Because out of that stopping will come new heavens and a new earth. A glorious, everlasting existence. But there will also be a judgment, not just a reward. And meanwhile, having urged us to share the good news, in verse 11, Peter charges believers to lead lives of holiness and godliness. Well, preacher, what on earth does holiness and godliness mean in 2023? Well, first of all, it clearly matters how we live. This is not about getting points. How we live until that dramatic moment or our own deaths in between times, before that climactic day of the second coming, how we live matters to God. He cares about how we're living So we're urged to holiness of life. Holiness, that setting apart by God of his people for his special purposes. And what have we learned from this scripture is the primary purpose of time. That others may be able to repent of their sin and turn to him. personal holiness of life. Living lives that declare that need for repentance and turning to God. Not a perfect life and not holy like God because one day things will change but in the moment we're still working our way. The last days are here. The messianic deliverance is ongoing. Holiness of life. Work out how to live like that and then live like that. Not just on your good days, but every day. And it's not about doing your best for God. It's loving God, accepting his love for you and living that life that declares him in all sorts of ways. Let others know about the jewel of faith that God has given you. The pearl of great price which is yours. Except, you've got it so you can give it away, haven't you? We never look at only one part of Scripture fully to hear the word of God to us. The Lord Jesus himself said to his disciples, and it comes on to us now, heaven and earth will pass away. So before Peter wrote his epistle, Jesus was saying, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. We shall never cease to be able to hold on to the words of the living Christ. Never. You can hold on to those words today when you feel good, 
when your Bible's open, when your Bible's closed, and when you're breathing your last breath, you can still hold on to the words of Christ, knowing that they will never pass away, because they're the words of the everlasting, from everlasting to everlasting. The world may seem to you to be a very troubled place as this year begins to draw to a close. And if you perhaps reflect a little on what these past months have been like in 2023 for you and for the nations, turn to the words of Christ, which will not pass away. As his crucifixion approached during his time on earth, Jesus said these words to his disciples. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. We talk about peace. We see the word peace on banners. We sing about peace at Christmas. Jesus has spoken that we may have peace. Have peace in your heart this Advent. Have peace in your heart this Christmas. Have peace in your heart on New Year's Day because the Lord reigns. And as the world looks grim, Jesus' words in that same verse from the Apostle John, in the world you will have tribulation, Jesus said, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.